everybody. Welcome to another episode of Courtside with Beals and Tennis, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Back on with my co-host, Steve Flink. Got a variety of topics that we want to address. WTA final starts tomorrow as Steve and I are recording this on Sunday. Obviously, we want to talk about Felix, his incredible run, Dominic Team. we want to talk about. We also want to talk about the Simona Halep suspension, a surprise to everybody uh, in the tennis world, including Simona. And then also want to give a quick uh, briefing on the Paris indoors. Again, that also starts tomorrow. Steve, uh, glad to have you back on as always. Uh, you ready to have some fun? I sure am, David. Been a very interesting couple of weeks and looking forward to, to, to covering all the ground right now. Yeah, let's start with the WTA finals. And one person I think I, I really want to talk about and hear your thoughts on is um, Jesse Pagula. Everyone has talked about the incredible year um, Iga Swiatek has, has, and rightfully so, right? She has had an incredible year. But when you look at Jesse Pagula and her consistency throughout 2022, just to give the listeners, you know, a, a summary, you know, quarters in Australia, quarters in French Open, quarters of U.S. Open. Um, recently won the WTA 1000 event, um, Guadalajara, finalist in Madrid, semi-finalist in Miami, quarter-finalist in Cincy. Um, she's had a very, very good year. Well, your summation, David, really gets to the heart of it. It's not that the results are necessarily spectacular, but she's a great practitioner of her craft, and she's a tough out every single week she goes out on the tour. Guadalajara was a high point. Because, you know, it, as you alluded to in the majors, it's the quarterfinals and it's other semifinals elsewhere. And it's it's the consistency. But she did a great job in Guadalajara because she played Rabacana in her opening round match and went to a tiebreaker in the third, pulled it out and then blitzed through the field. Eventually, you know, she knocked off Sloan very easily and and uh, your favorite player, Sakari, in the final. And uh, I, I mean, it was a great week for her, but it's just been a terrific year. It's, it's a well-deserved rise to number three in the world, all, largely unnoticed because Riantek gets all the press deservedly for winning two majors. Anstjabor, uh, two major finals in a row, you know, with Wimbledon in the open and making her big strides and just a great international uh, icon of sorts because of her background. And now here's Pagula up there at number three, and nobody can say it's not Mary. Exactly. And, and I, won't, I won't expect an answer from you now, but I'll give you a sneak preview to think about it when we do our year end. There's going to be a question if she's a, if she's a 2023 slam winner, at least a finalist. So uh, start doing your analysis now before we record it, because that question is coming your way. Um, incredible year. Very consistent. Like you said, you're not going to get the headlines when you've quartered, quartered, quartered in slams, right? You, you're just not. But when you look at the whole body of her work, like you said, it's been really, really good. And it, it maybe it's because of her sports background in Buffalo, and that we can. There could be many reasons for it, David. But she's a very tough competitor in the best sense. You know, they, they know she. Her rivals know they're not getting any gifts from her. They know she, there's no quit in her, and uh, she's she's. You know, it's the mental, it's the mentality as much as it is the solidity of her game. Agreed. I want to talk about someone who she plays doubles with. She has recently played doubles with, had very good results with. That's Coco Goff. Coco and Jesse are the first pair of Americans in the top four since Serena and Venus in 2010. Coco has obviously just continued um, her, her nice progress. I mean, she bursted on the scene in what, 2019. The COVID year was kind of weird. 2021, a little bit topsy-turvy. 2022, 
it's been that nice rise finalist at, at Roland Garros. Yes, she has a couple of those weaknesses that we've talked about, and she's she knows them. It's not a surprise to anyone, and she continues to work on that and get better. Um, it's a tough field, obviously, the top eight women. So this week is going to be a challenge. But um, your overall uh, assessment of Coco and where she's at right now? Yeah, I think you. I think you described it well. I, I think people forget she's 18 years old because of the fact of what you were just talking about that she's been achieving since 19, you know, you know, we're looking at 19, 20, 21, 24 years, really in the upper echelons, you know, playing against the best players in the world, beating the likes of Osaka and Venus Williams at majors. And, and therefore people expecting her to just, you know, automatically take over women's tennis. It's not reasonable. It's not fair. Yes, you alluded to those weaknesses. The forehand can be a, a, a burdensome, troublesome at times, second serve. But she has so many strengths, great backhand, great attitude, willing to come forward, terrific disposition. And I think for her to be number four in the world right behind Pagula, who's three, it is, is remarkable. And she's right on course. Let's see where she is, David, in 2024, 2025. I think we're going to be looking at, a, at a, an entirely different player more confident. That's when you're going to be see her in my, in my estimation, that's when she's going to be picking up majors in that period. Not necessarily next year, but the year after I, I see, I, I can envision it. I, yeah, I think that's really well said. I think a lot of people, including myself, definitely agree with you on that. Let's, let's uh, go ahead and mention Maria Sakri because you and I texted after she qualified, she had a very pressure filled match. I believe it was the semis where the winner of that match qualified for the WTA finals. There was a ton of pressure on that match for both women and soccer. got through and you saw the celebration at when she won match point, it was a scream. And to me, the first thing I said to you was it was, it not only was a celebration, but it seemed to me that it was a huge, huge sense of relief because she did well in 2021 in the majors. She obviously struggled mightily in the majors in 2022. And that happens when you've had real good success one year, the next year you have pressure on you and expectations. And a lot of players don't maybe meet those expectations that next following year, um, that next year. I hope her coming through in that pressure filled match, she will allow her to play with a free mind, not only this week, but the free mind going into 2023 that that celebration on match point was was really cool to see well it's interesting you know she struggled for that place as we speak she's actually number five in the world so i mean <laughs> for somebody who's had the difficulties that you just described to still be number five in the world shows you again she's someone who wins a lot of matches some have got have eluded her grasp in the last year which is why it was disappointing in the slams specifically, in the, in slams. the slams, yes, uh, and, and 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 some finals, losing I believe four finals. She's had a tough time winning those, which of course with uh, Felix Algarlisian, he had his difficult, he had his problems with that before this year too. She'll get over that hurdle, I'm sure. But still, to be to have had that many woes and still be five in the world, I'm sure her coaches and her family remind her of that every single day, and she can. She's going to be able to start anew in 23, David, regardless of what happens in the year end championships, how she does in Texas. It's going to be a, a chance next year to sort of re reestablish herself, reassert herself in the upper echelons and, and start threatening for majors again, the way she thought she would this year coming off the great campaign in 21. 
Yeah, and I hope um, all our listeners follow the, the WTA finals on social media. Our friend Steve, you and I, you know, Blair Henley's been doing a ton of work um, on that front, doing a great, great job. Everybody loves Blair. She's, she's so nice and she's so good at what she does. So make sure to go follow it this week. Um, I know Steve and I are looking forward to, to following it as well and seeing, seeing how that tournament um, comes up. Now, you mentioned him. We have to talk, to him, talk about him, obviously. The guy, Felix Ajir Aliasim, 0-8 in tour finals, had not even won a set in any of those, I don't believe. We knew, Steve, once he got the first one, the others would then come in bunches, which is what we're seeing right now. He's won three in a row. Um, I'll leave it to you to talk. I mean, this is well, he's on quite a roll right now. Oh, terrific role. And, you know, that hadn't been done. I mean, Rude did it on the clay, I guess, a year ago. And Andy Murray in 2011 won three in a row. It's rare because usually on the top players, they don't necessarily want to even play that third week. If they've won two titles in a row, they may well pull out the next week and say, I'm not risking injury. But Felix being on such a roll just decided, no, I'm going to keep going. He broke through in Rotterdam much earlier in the year. Then he had right. some he had some frustrations. He had a match point against, he'd already had a match point against Medvedev in the Australian Open, which he was unable to convert in the fourth set and lost it in five, a heartbreaker after being up two sets. Then he had a five setter with Rafa at the French. Could have been a blockbuster of a win for him if he could pull it off, but Rafa fended him off in the end, deservedly so. And then he had, you know, he, he ran into Cressy at Wimbledon in the first round, you know, and not the easiest draw against a yeah, big tricky server. opponent. Very tricky, as was Jack Draper at the U.S. Open. So those were very disappointing for Felix, who's, who had been in the semis of the U.S. Open last year, the quarters of Wimbledon a year ago. He had some really good showings at the majors. So, but now, I mean, the tear that he's on now, got some confidence-building win over Novak in the Labor Cup. Djokovic having some problems with his wrist, but nonetheless a great performance from FAA in that match. And then that led him, it seems, into this three-title blitz. And he didn't lose his serve all week this week in Basel and close it out over a player who is really a very promising in Holger Runa. So, I mean, Felix is on top of the world. I, I, I'm glad to see it, David. We know he's had the ability. That's been clear for so long. What a great all. He's one of the most well-rounded players in the game. Great serve. Not afraid to come forward. Terrific physique and great off the ground. What happens is there just tend to be these bad patches and matches inexplicably in the, that may well now be in the past because it looks to me like he's moving to another level. You know, that's interesting that you said, I didn't even think about that when he beat Novak. Obviously I knew he beat Novak in labor cup, but that, that event is kind of weird. You don't know what players take um, out of that. Whenever you beat someone, a legend like Novak is, it's only going to be good for your psyche. I would say, um, that's interesting that he did that and then he went on this tear. So it would not surprise me one bit. And I don't think it would surprise you one bit if he's holding a trophy at a slam next year. I mean, like you said, you've kind of said it. He's made the second week of all the slams, made the semis in 2021 U.S. Open. He's lost some heartbreakers in slams, like you said, to Medvedev in the quarters, Rafa in the French Open. Um, wouldn't surprise me a bit if he's a title holder next year. Yeah, and there were times, I remember even seeing him playing Medvedev in the semis of the U.S. Open in 21 before Medvedev went on and beat Djokovic in the final. And he had a chance there in that second set to make it one set. Oh, it was a big turning point in the match. A couple of opportunities to close out the second set and didn't do it. That's what 10, that was sort of a pattern with Felix sometimes in the past. And then you'd see him, you'd sort of, you could almost read his 
inner thinking. And he, it's not that he was not demonstrative without a motive, but you could sense that something had come out of him. And the, that, that, that seems to be changing. I think now he's putting it together mentally and as a match player. And so you add that to the physical prowess and what a package. Well, I, and, and I want to hear your thoughts on this one because all tennis fans are uh, so looking forward to this rivalry in the, into the future. Felix played Carlos Alcaraz in the semis and Felix won. You know, Carlos has that slam. He most recently won the U.S. Open. Felix doesn't have a slam. Felix is 3-0 and head-to-head versus Carlos Alcaraz. They are going to play so many times and I am so looking forward to watching this rivalry play out for years to come. Oh, I am too. I am too. Listen, I think Sinner and Alcaraz are going to have a fascinating rivalry as well. And all the three of them will get into it. It's, it's, I have never seen Carlos Alcaraz in that semifinal, by the way, look so helpless on a tennis court, look so forlorn. He, uh, he's, he's such a positive thinker. And even when he's in many of his losses this year, he, he would fight to the end and you sense that he was going down swinging. This one, he got, he, he didn't quit at all. And he had a break point in the last game, but never broke Felix, lost it really decisively there. And I think uh, th- that's a real credit to the level that Felix produced over two sets because he's now three and zero over Carlos. Right. But the first one was a quarterfinal of the U.S. Open a year ago when, when uh, Carlos had to quit with a leg oh. injury after a set. The next one was Davis Cup right after the U.S. Open. It was commendable that Carlos even decided to make that trip and represent Spain. This is entirely different. Carlos had had a good week. I think he thought he might be primed to win the title. Here he is in a semifinal. The deeper he goes into these tournaments, the more dangerous he gets. But Felix just cut him down ruthlessly. And it was superb execution. And the look that Carlos gave him afterwards was kind of like, listen, you were you were just way too good. Well done. Yeah, Yeah. well said. You know, Dominic team, you know, when he won the U.S. Open in 2020. And I don't know how it feels for you, Steve. 2020 U.S. Open for me feels 20 years ago because that was, again, there were no fans there and everything. And it it was just so weird um, with that. But he has had some good results. He didn't go that far this week in the tournament, but he beat Tommy Paul in his first match. Then he lost to Daniil Medvedev. But the previous week, he beat Hercosh 7-6 in the third, lost Sebi Korda 7-6 in the third in the semis. That was in Belgium. Um is he, is he back? I know his year's over, but I think he's just going to concentrate on getting healthy and preparing for a good 2023 season. Yeah, he decided after losing David to Medvedev this week, which was a frustrating match for him because they had a long game at three all in the first set. It eventually got away. He was never the same again. And you could see that he looked physically a bit drained. He played so much, as you just alluded to. Basically, since the U.S. Open on, he played a ton of tennis and he gradually raised his level and he had a good win over Hercosh and he's I I think he's back in the top 10 next year I'm convinced of it uh this has set the stage for it and I you could see him building his confidence over these last couple of weeks and I think he's very smart to say you know what I don't need to play uh, I don't need to go to Paris I don't need to be playing anymore now I need to just train for next year I think it's a wise move because I think he's got his confidence back the physicality coming back the game is coming around considerably and I feel like He's very close to the team uh, who won the 2020 U.S. Open at that period of 19 and 20 when he was playing his best tennis. Very close. And I expect next year that he'll be in the thick of things again. And I'd be very surprised if at year's end we weren't talking about him as a top tenner. I'd be surprised if we didn't see him actually in the year-end championships next year. 
Interesting. Yeah. Hopefully he, hopefully he stays healthy and does have a good 2023. Um, I want to address the shocking news that came out. I don't know. I think roughly two weeks ago today. And that was the uh, Simona Halep suspension. And, and to be fully transparent, I don't know any inside information on any of this. It's just what I read. Um, and what I've seen from Simona over the years, I was shocked as I think many of us all were, um, we don't look at Simona Halep and think like she would um, do this purposely to try to take something um, to enhance her tennis that, that's illegal. I don't think that's it at all. If this is an accurate test result, my own opinion is it's totally inadvertent. Um, you saw the very nice Instagram post that Darren Cahill put out um, defending her um, to the nth degree. The thing with Moritagalu was interesting. Now, obviously, Cahill has had a much longer coaching relationship with Simona Halep than Moritagalu had. Patrick Moritagalu came out with a short statement. He said he was still kind of digesting everything. Then after Darren's post, Patrick came out with a, with a much longer post. Um, take it for whatever, uh, you know, whatever it may. But um, you followed tennis a long time. You followed Simona a long time. This had to be shocking to you because this is not someone that you think would unilaterally try to cheat the rules and take something like this. No, there have been some perplexing cases. We've had a lot of cases. Martina Hingis with cocaine, being accused of cocaine, but being adamant that she had never taken it. Who's to say there were clear samples there? I, I never knew what to make of that. That seemed to be unlikely, but who was to know? This one seems extremely unlikely in the sense that you don't see Darren Cahill publicly put his reputation on the line like that. He's he's an earnest, decent, honorable man. He's highly respected across the tennis community. So I feel like he wouldn't have said that without being really sure. And Simona sounds very sincere. So then the question is, yes, how did it get in there? Eight years ago, I believe it was, David, I remember Roger Federer coming to Marin Cilic's defense. Cilic had been accused of an illegal substance. And, and Federer came in the press conference of the U.S. Open and said, I believe him. I know him. I don't think he did this. Eventually, I believe what happened in Cilic's case, he'd had a certain length suspension that was reduced because he claimed it must have been some kind of a supplement he was given that he thought was a vitamin that had trace elements of whatever it was he was been, being accused of taking. So I have I got to believe that this is a similar case. They're going to discover something Simona took, which she thought was a simple type of vitamin supplement, whatever it was, that had right. because it was apparently a very low amount of, of the illegal substance. So, yeah, it just doesn't make sense to me. And I hope she's able to clear herself because she's been such a great credit to the game. And, and I hear is this woman that, you know, is a lot more um, diminutive, you might say, compared to her other big rivals. You know, she. She trains hard. She works hard. She, it, it, that's what makes her so much fun to watch is that she has to overcome bigger hitters and women with much larger physiques than hers. And I, I so I tend to when, when, as soon as I saw the Cahill post, I said, I said you know what? I, I believe him. I believe him. And I because he's, he's not going to put himself on the line like that. And he was around her a long time. So I hope it can be cleared up quickly. And it was nice to see there's so many number of um players that came to her defense too because it was shocking to them because again if they know if i think if your peers know you may be taking something and whatever you're just not getting caught or whatever 
they may just be silent on it, but they wouldn't then come to your defense as strongly as other players did, like they did for this situation with Simona Halep. So um, I, I hope we're both right in that if something got, if she took some sort of supplement or something that was, was, was in it, it was totally inadvertent. And I hope well, also, uh, any, any suspension she gets is reduced. Go ahead, Steve. Yeah, no, sorry to interrupt you, but also she's never been accused before. It's hard to, to believe that at this stage, just because she's getting a little older, that she decided she needed a little bit of help and therefore she was going to cheat. It doesn't add up to the halop that we've known all these years. Yes, she's very uh, edgy on the court and chides herself a lot, gets mad at herself, and, but, but she's just a great competitor. And you listen to her in the press conferences afterwards. She's been a total professional. So I hope that... Uh, this matter will be resolved, as I say, as quickly as possible so that there can, she gets a chance to prove her case and they can figure out what might have led to that result. Yeah, I agree. Um, well, I, I think the last topic you and I want to address, want to address the last Masters 1000 of the year. You and I have had conversations on timings of Masters 1000s and the whole fall season. This This one seems a little bit different in that you know, you got a guy like Novak who hasn't played his normal schedule because of, you know, some tournaments that he was not allowed to play. Um, it may not seem like as much burnout for some of these guys that I normally feel like it is at this time of year. I, I again, I hate that there's a Masters 1000 um, after the final slam. Again, it has nothing to do with Paris. You and I have talked about this. It has nothing to do with the specific Masters that's after the Slam. I just hate that any Masters 1000 is after the Slam. But that's a different subject for a different day. The draw is out. It starts um, tomorrow. You have Carlos and Felix and Medvedev in the top half. You have Novak, Rafa, and Tsitsipas in the bottom half. I'm curious to see how Rafa plays. I mean, we really haven't seen a good Rafa, Steve, since you know the, the match before Taylor Fritz and Wimbledon, before he... Really, that abdominal tear was giving him problems. We, he was not. We, he did not look good in Cincinnati. He did not look his typical self in the first three matches he won in New York and the fourth one against TFO. Not to take any credit away from TFO. I mean, that was a huge win. But I'm eager to see um, how Rafa looks at, at this tournament. Yeah. Now, listen, David. When it con- I, I couldn't agree more with what you just said, but. He wouldn't be there. I'm convinced he's not doing it as sort of an experiment. He's there, I think, because he, a couple of reasons. Number one, he actually still has a chance to end the year at number one in the world. Carlos has the edge over him, but it's not, the points lead is not totally safe yet. So I think Rafa might feel like, well, if I do really well in Paris and in the year-end championships, I might be able to wrestle that away from him. So that, that might maybe intrigues him. And the other is just that he remembers how hard it was this year and he did an astounding job to, be missing virtually the whole second half of 2021 and then walk right out and win the 250 event in Melbourne and win the Australian Open and win Acapulco. And it was unbeatable up until he lost to Fritz in Indian Wells. So he doesn't want to have to do it that way all over again. And you're right. He was never himself again, uh, really through that whole stretch from, from the Fritz match at Wimbledon right through the loss to TFO at the Open. So I feel like he's not going there. He's got to believe that the abdominal is cleared up. He's got to believe that he's there. physically he's there now. He believes he is, and we're going to find out. So that's intriguing because I think he'll really want to do well there. And Novak, who had won two titles in a row, and is trying to he's trying to make it three, well, three straight on the run because he also won Wimbledon and 
didn't play after Wimbledon until he started his run. So uh, his is a different kind of streak. But I think that the fact that they could meet in a semifinal is really interesting because almost all of their recent duels over the last couple of years, almost all have been on the clay. They played three years in a row at Roland Garros, and as, as an example, and a couple of times in Rome. Almost, almost all their matches have been on Rafa's turf. This one would be more Novak's terrain, you would think, but it would be fascinating to see them play a, a semifinal in Paris with both of them fresh and eager and wanting to end the year strong and have that lead them into 2023 on a high. And what about Felix? I mean, if he could somehow come through this field and win the Paris indoors, that's fourth tournament in a row. I mean, he's like you said, he's booming with confidence right now, playing so, so well. Um, I mean, he's going to be a tough out. I don't think he's burned out. I don't think he's tired. I think he's just playing um, free and he's playing well and he's super, super uh, confident with his game right now. That would be well, something I really want to see. I, I hope he has a good run. I hope he does not lose early in this tournament. It's going to be difficult. I, I hope you're right. I hope your optimism is well-founded because it's the, the, this additional week on top of what he's done the last three, it, it, it's, it, it's, it, you're really testing yourself to the limits physically. And then mentally, you're a little drained too. I hope so. I hope he, uh, you know, that if he can just get going and, and keep, if he can get a couple of straight set wins in at the start, it might carry him through deep into this draw again, too. It'd be fascinating to see it. Uh, but if it doesn't work out, he's still going to be a big threat in turn at the year-end championships, you know, for the top eight. He'll, he'll go over there very confident, regardless of what happens in the indoors in Paris. Agreed. Well, we have a, we have a fun week uh, coming up for all tennis fans. And then when we uh, record next time, we'll be able to talk about uh, the results and all the events that happen that are going to um, be coming up these next six, seven days. So um, sit back, relax, watch some great, great tennis, and it's going to be a, a fun week. Steve, anything else? No, no, David, looking forward to it. But I, I thought there was a lot to chew on today, and, and uh, I hope people enjoyed the show because this, the, the great thing about the game, and the great thing, by the way, to, to get back to your point a few minutes ago, is that because the, the U.S. Open may be the last major, but then there's so much activity going on in the fall. And I find, I'm, I find myself enjoying it immensely. I can get hooked on it all day long, you know, watching one top player after another playing in two different, three different cities from, from it, it really gives the tennis fan a lot to enjoy before the men shut, shut down in November and the women really will shut down after the, the tournament in Dallas next week. Yep. Lots to still look forward to uh, in 2022 before we turn our attention to 2023. Stay, Steve, thanks again for your time, and we'll do it again uh, uh, next weekend. Okay, thank you, David.